There's something that we are doing every second of every day of every year of our lives that we can't help but do. It's unavoidable and unstoppable. We're getting older. <laughs> we are continually and constantly aging. And aging is vanity. In other words, it is fleeting and frustrating. That's how we've defined vanity. Time, the most precious resource we own, is constantly depleting and never replenishing. And our age marks this frustrating aspect of our lives. For something that is so constantly happening to us, we don't think very much about aging, actually. We may try to ignore it, seeing it as an unpleasant thought to dwell on. Like a famous baseball player, Satchel Paige, once said, age is a question of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. <laughs> so we may try to ignore it. Or we may try to join with our culture in essentially denying the reality of aging using beauty products, cosmetic surgery, or technology to hide our ages. We also so easily glorify youth and beauty and health and fitness and athleticism, all the while looking down on older people as past their prime curmudgeons. Are any of these really how we should deal with aging as God's people? No. We should neither deny aging and death, nor dread it, nor bemoan it or complain about it when it happens to us. And really, our present lives now should be shaped by what is to come later in life. We hear these messages loud and clear in the book of Ecclesiastes. And you can actually open up a Bible with me now. Turn to Ecclesiastes with me. We'll be in chapter 11 and 12 today. But Solomon in Ecclesiastes is brutally realistic about the potential agonies of aging, yet never gives in to despair. Rather, he says these facts should energize us while we have the life and bodies to be energized. In chapters 11 and 12, we are rapidly moving toward a climax for Ecclesiastes. Last week, Dan, our guest, took us through parts of three chapters and challenged us to work hard with all of our might, being open-handed in generosity, trusting God to overcome fear, and leaving the results of our toil to the Lord. We start today in verse 7 of chapter 11 with a proverb about how pleasant life can be. Look at it. It says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now, that might sound cruel to read in the middle of January in Canada. <laughs> Yet it's true. Modern science and medicine totally backs this up. 
Not to mention just the appeal we feel for sunshine vacations or destinations in the middle of winter. Light, especially from the sun, not only can be pleasant to feel, it's good for us. Sure, too much could give you cancer, but too little can cause all kinds of issues, including severe depression. Exposure to sunlight helps our bodies produce essential vitamins that we need for life. But think about this verse specifically in the context of Ecclesiastes as a whole. Okay? The constant theme of under the sun has basically been code for under the curse. Right? We we live under the sun in a world broken by sin and death and the curse. But now, unexpectedly, we hear, well, it's not all bad under the sun. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And God made the world as very good, and not all of that goodness has been lost. It's still good to see the sun. In other words, it's, it's still good to be alive. And that leads directly to what Solomon says in verse 8. He says, So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And I believe this gives us our first big idea for today. To put it simply, we should rejoice in every season of life. As God's people, who are shaped by God's word, we should rejoice in every season of our lives. In short, don't take any season or any year for granted. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Now this is the only part of today's passage written specifically for older people. Although age is relative here, since we're told to rejoice in all our years. But he says, if you live many years, some of you have lived many years, so if that's you, Solomon tells you to rejoice in every year that you live. Why? Because despite all its brokenness, life is still beautiful. And it's still a gift from God be thankful. Appreciate the good things in life. Enjoy it. Or as he says, rejoice. And we go, what about when life isn't so good or enjoyable? Right? When, when it's really hard. Well, if you've been going through Ecclesiastes with us, you know that Solomon is not naive here. He knows Life can be incredibly difficult and frustrating in this fallen world. And you'll be pleased to know that he immediately balances this truth out. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. 
So everything to come, no matter how good or bad, it's going to speed by fast. It's, it's vanity. So rejoice, but remember, there will be many days in life that are full of darkness. But don't miss the implication here that even the darkness should not cancel out the joy. Both can coexist here. How can we rejoice even when things are dark? Well, by focusing on the light. By recounting the blessings you already have been given. By remembering who God is. He never changes despite our seasons. Who he is to you as your Savior, your Lord, your friend. And by refocusing on what you've received through Jesus and the gospel, which can never be taken away no matter what happens in life. Life can be dark. And aging, specifically, can seem really dark. But God is always good. And therefore, we should find reason to rejoice in every season of life. But no one's denying that that some seasons will be easier to rejoice in than others. It's interesting, though. I find that the easier the season, the easier it is to take it for granted. Right? Which is why we need to remember that there are days of darkness and vanity even as we rejoice, even in the good times. It's also surely why Solomon turns his attention directly to young people here, because they have it best, right? And, and that's not wrong that they do, that's just life. But so many people, young people especially, miss the wonder of their life, and it flies by before they know it. And so Solomon emphasizes that we should rejoice in every season of life, and especially in our youth. We should rejoice in every season of life, but we should especially rejoice in our youth. So, if there are any kids who aren't in Sunday school right now, listen up. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, pay attention. Young adults, this is for you. Look at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Now, Solomon's speaking to young men here, probably his sons, but it equally applies to young men or young women. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. As one modern translation says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Now, Solomon basically says, follow your heart. Something looks good to you, go after it. And we, alarms go off for us, right? (laughs) What? (laughs) That doesn't sound biblical. That sounds like Disney. But don't worry, he doesn't mean it the same way that our modern world does which sees your own heart's dreams and desires as your highest authority. Now Solomon will completely dispute that idea within this very verse. 
What he's saying is there are good things in life, there are good things about youth that God means for us to enjoy to the fullest. As long as you are living your life for the Lord and not for yourself, then God usually gives us freedom to enjoy what our hearts enjoy, to pursue what delights us. Like He's not a killjoy. It's the principle we see in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Revel in your boundless energy. Relish your youthful strength. Appreciate working out, dancing, and skating, hiking, and playing sports. Enjoy eating and drinking while your metabolism is still working full power. Treasure your impressive memory, your healthy mind. Savor your relatively pain-free existence. We have people in our church whose health has deteriorated even in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who would tell you, you don't know what tomorrow holds. So don't take today for granted. Enjoy your youth. And no matter how young or old you are, you can take this message to heart because you will never again be closer to your birth than you are right now. You'll never be younger than you are right now. The point is to to lay the right foundations for your life as early as possible, and that's today. Personally, I am firmly planted in middle age right now. Some things about my life are youthful, and some things about them are old. For example, I still play Ultimate Frisbee weekly, and I love the exercise and fun of it. But I'm also usually the slowest person on the field right now. I recently looked up training exercises and running advice to see if I might be able to increase my speed at my age. And the general consensus was, good luck, LOL. (laughs) I'm only a few months younger than LeBron James, basketball star LeBron James, who is affectionately called Old Man LeBron now. (laughs) I can still manage to wrestle and dance with my kids, but I can also now injure myself sneezing (laughs) or sleeping, and I have. (laughs) I'm aging. But for whatever youthful parts still remain in me, I can rejoice and I can thank the Lord for them. I'll never again be younger than I am right now, so I ought to enjoy it. And in case you think this gives us permission to live it up without repercussions, think again. Look at the rest of verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So it's not live it up, anything goes. 
It's live it up under God. We need to know that we will give an account to the Lord for everything we do. So, eat and drink away, but without descending into gluttony or drunkenness. Celebrate your youthful vigor, but don't just use it selfishly on yourself. Have fun, but do so morally, wisely, responsibly. Like if your heart or your eyes lead you towards sin, don't follow them there. Walk in the ways of your heart as you walk in the ways in the fear of the Lord. That's what it's saying here. But there's another side to this as well. Notice that rejoicing is not really a suggestion here. It's more of a command. And God will bring us into judgment for, not least of all, how we follow his commands. So do you see? God will call us to account for how we enjoyed or did not enjoy his gifts. True enjoyment is a gift. And like any gift, we're responsible for what we do with it. Remember that that God is the epitome of joy, the source of all true joy. So the more joyful we are, the more we reflect and resemble him. Coincidingly, the more grumbly and discontent we are, the more devilish we appear. David Gibson says this, that pleasure is a divine decree that we ignore at our peril. For it is precisely in enjoying the world God has made that we show we have grasped the goodness of the God we say we love. You catch that? I'll read it again. For it's precisely in enjoying the world that God has made that we show we have grasped the goodness of the God we say we love. Not to live gladly, joyfully, and not to drink deeply from the wells of abundant goodness that God has lavished on us is sin. And it is a sin because it is a denial of who he is. I think it's, it's like when Adam and Eve came to think of God like he was holding out on them. He, and so in pride and unbelief, they essentially charged God with not being good. And God's judgment was justly brought against their sin in the form of the curse. He likewise, later on, he promised curses would come upon his people of Israel if they did not serve him with, quote, joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. It's in Deuteronomy 28. It's no surprise that that God will judge us as well for our sin of not appreciating his goodness. But also... Thanks be to God that Jesus bore God's judgment on our behalf (laughs) for even sins such as these. There is grace. Verse 10 continues on and it finishes chapter 11 off with this counsel. It says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life 
our vanity. So this is part of rejoicing in our youth. If we're to rejoice to the fullest, then we should seek to remove things that make us miserable. Right? Kind of common sense. But in this, in this case, it's vexation or anxiety and pain, or arguably better translated, evil. Now, in a broken world, there will always be things that frustrate us. And many of these things we cannot or should not remove from us. Like maybe your spouse or your kids or your work or your school vexes you. Don't just remove them. But as much as we are able, it says we're to banish vexation itself from our hearts. So not from our lives, but from our hearts. We must learn to control, to crucify our anger, our bitterness, our complaining spirits. And we must learn to cast our cares, our worries, our troubles at God's feet and so find peace and contentment and self-control in the Lord even in the midst of pain or irritating situations. When it says to put away pain, this could be saying on the one hand, to, to repent of evils that plague us. Because these evils cause us so much turmoil and pain and misery. So eliminate them. Repent. And if we, if we don't repent when we're young, sin has this hardening effect on us. And it becomes much harder to break off a habit and seek the Lord later in life. Alternatively, put away pain could be saying to keep our bodies as healthy as possible. That it's right and good for us to try to alleviate pain. Like that's a result of the curse, right? So whether through health care or medicine or even counseling, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Either way, this verse reinforces the point, you're young now, but you won't be young forever. So don't let things fester and get in the way of your heart rejoicing. So how should we approach aging? Solomon says first, we should rejoice in every season. His second point, which we'll see in chapter 12, is more specific especially geared toward young people, and yet really applicable to anyone. I put it this way, that we should remember our Creator in this season of life. We must remember our Creator in this present season of our lives. I believe that this is actually the climax of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now think about it. Ecclesiastes has been deeply shaped by the beginning of history in Genesis 1 to 3. 
Right? We've seen it over and over again. It focuses on life in a world that is so broken by sin and the curse and death. Solomon even described his own search for any true gain in this broken world. Anything non-vanity in life. Something lasting. Something satisfying. Instead of fleeting and frustrating. At one point, he even appeared to try to recreate the paradise of the Garden of Eden but he kept coming up empty, getting disillusioned with it all. One of his chief goals in this book is to disillusion us as well with the things of this world. If you recall, Ecclesiastes means to depress us into dependence. But into dependence on whom? Dependence on our Creator. After all, He is the one who made us and everything in our world. He knows how it works inside and out. He knows the deepest wisdom about it. He is the one who subjected the earth to futility or vanity. He is the one who still rules over it all from over the sun. And he, the antithesis of vanity, is the only one who can truly satisfy us. So, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. This is important for us to grasp as early as humanly possible. So if you're 5 or 15 or 25 years old, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. If you're 35, 45, 85, anywhere in between, remember your creator. Wherever you find yourself, remember him now in this season of life. What does that mean, though, to remember our creator? Because it means more than simply mentally recalling him to mind, like a memory. It more means to allow the truth of God as creator to shape your entire view of life and to affect your daily handling of life. To be mindful of him in every circumstance. It means to stop pretending to be in control or all-knowing, or to be self-sufficient, and to submit yourself, to commit yourself to him who is all of the above. It means, as scholar Jacques Ellul says, all the evils, and I choose my words carefully, all the evils of the world stem from our taking ourselves to be the creator. We as creatures are not central, we are not sovereign, but we have a creator who is. Remembering our creator means to have faith in him, to follow him, to worship him, honoring and enjoying him every day of our lives. Ultimately, it means to live a God-centered life, making the God, or making the God who made the world our first and highest priority. And if you think about it, this is the key to everything else we've been talking about. 
We can rejoice in the vitality of youth and in the waning strength of old age. Why? Because every day is a gift from the maker of all days, our creator. And we can best remove vexation or pain from us when we cast our cares on our creator who made our hearts, formed our bodies, knows us better than we know ourselves. When we remember our Creator, we also inevitably remember that we have sinned against our Creator. But then, He also planned to redeem us from the curse. And He did so by coming to earth Himself in Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our evil, rising again to give us new life. You need to be made right with your Creator. So have you been? We'd love to help you do this today. I, I firmly believe that nothing is more important than this in life. Now, Solomon is, is still particularly addressing young people here. In verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. He goes on, Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. In other words, remember your creator before everything goes to heck. <laughs> it's like Philip Reichen sums up, Remember God now while you still have your wits about you. Remember God now while you're still charting your course in life. And while you're still making important decisions about what to do with your talents, remember your Creator now before you forget the God who made you and, and make a lot of bad decisions that you'll regret later. Remember God now while you still have a whole lifetime to live for His glory. Solomon's basically saying, do it now, not later, because later may prove far more difficult. Once we start to go downhill, thanks to the curse of mortality, it can be harder to see the goodness of God. It doesn't negate it, just harder to notice, and thus harder to respond to him as our creator. Therefore, we should remember our creator in this season of life before the next season. Before the next season of life, which may be more challenging than we can imagine. But don't take it from me. Take it from an old man who was already walking this path. And Solomon. Or, sit down with your grandparents. Or your aging parents, or an older friend at church, and ask them what it's like to get old. <laughs> After they get over the shock of you calling them old... I bet you gain wisdom from that conversation. Solomon emphasizes the urgency of remembering God now by repeating before three times. Before, before, before. Starting right there in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come or the days of trouble come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember how we began today with the verse declaring how pleasant life can be. There may come a day when it's nearly impossible to find any pleasure in life. 
We should still seek to rejoice in those days. He just told us that. But the long, fleeting years of your life can take their toll. I think of Olaf, the little snowman in Frozen, singing optimistically about growing older. I'll have all the answers when I'm older. When I'm more mature, I'll feel totally secure. Because when you're older, absolutely everything makes sense. (laughs) And we find the irony funny because we know that none of this is really true. You won't feel totally secure. Not everything will just magically make sense. In fact, when you're older, you may be more in the dark and less secure than ever. So remember your creator before the next season hits you with a fury. Look at verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. That's like creation going in reverse. All the, the lights created by God going dark. And clouds returning after rain, not returning after sun, means the storms just keep coming, one after the other. Listen to Derek Kinder describe this scene. There's a chill of winter in the air, as the rains persist and the clouds turn daylight into gloom and then night into pitch blackness, it is a scene somber enough to bring home to us not only the fading of physical and mental powers, but the more general desolations of old age. There are many lights that are liable then to be withdrawn besides those of the senses and faculties. As one by one, old friends are taken, familiar customs change, and long-held hopes now have to be abandoned. All this will come at a stage when there is no longer the resilience of youth or the prospect of recovery to offset it. In one's early years, and for the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually. It is hard to adjust and know that now, in the final stretch, there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and time will no longer heal, but kill. Depressed yet? You ain't heard nothing yet. The next several verses pile on metaphor after metaphor, and the poetry here is meant to emotionally move us and help us really feel what's coming. Not so we will dread growing older, but so we'll make the most of being younger. The main imagery he uses, as he goes on, is of a beautiful building falling into disrepair and ruin. So, remember your creator before the clouds return after the rain. Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. So there's a lot of imagery here, right? That the keepers of the house trembling, strong men bending refer to our legs and our arms. 
the pride of workouts everywhere, growing weak, slack, atrophied with age. Grinders are our teeth. Windows dimmed are our eyes. Doors shutting are our ears. All of which can eventually fail us. No longer able to chew, see, or hear as well. Or at all. He goes on, When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. So once the, the house is abandoned, the hum of household work falls silent. The only sounds to be heard are birds singing, or more ominously, hooting and cawing. You certainly won't hear any children playing or singing around the place. Similarly, our body's ability to work, to hear, to sleep deeply, and even to sing all can fade away. Old age is also often accompanied by fear of falling and venturing far from home. Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. Think about it. When you're a rough and tumble kid, you fall down like every day. You get cuts and bruises, but they'll heal pretty quickly. Not so when you're old. One fall in the wrong place or on the wrong spot could spell the end for you. Continues, the, when the almond tree blossoms, that's likely the easiest metaphor. Our hair goes white like almond blossoms. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. That's quite the picture. When you think of grasshoppers, what do you think of? Agility, right? Liveliness, quickness. They flit and leap and, and spring around. An apt analogy for youth. But here the, the grasshopper is just a parody of what he used to be. Slowed to barely a crawl. It's, it really is an unflattering image for elderly people. Slowly dragging themselves along. It's no wonder that as strength fails, desire, likely talking about sexual desire, also fails. So as the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails... Anne Lamott once joked, getting older is almost like changing species from cute middle-aged white-tailed deer to yak. <laughs> We're both grass eaters, but that's about the only similarity. <laughs> but in all seriousness, in our broken world, growing old can be so challenging, agonizing even. Again, we need not dread it. God will be faithful and his grace will be sufficient and there will be plenty of joys and blessings along the way as we grow old. But why in the world would we wait until then to remember our creator? Why wouldn't we love him and serve him now. 
while we still have more life in us than then. When, when we can leave the house easily to, to fellowship with other believers, to lend our strength to those in need, to serve them, when we can taste and see the beauty of his creation all around us, when we can hear his word read, when we can raise our voices in worship to him, like why would we not give him our best years, give the best years of our life to the one who gave everything to us? So remember him in this season of life before the next one comes along. You may think Solomon has sufficiently hammered his point home at this point, but he has one more place to take us today. Aging is sobering, yes, but even more soberingly, growing old is just a precursor to death. So remember our Creator before our mortal return. Just a fancy way to say before we die. Remember him now, in this season of life, before our mortal return. Again, verse 5. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. That evokes a funeral service, right? With one man dying and a crowd mourning his death. And this is where aging inevitably leads to us going to our eternal home. The grave and then the afterlife. With those we leave behind grieving for us. 2 Corinthians 5.1 explains that when our earthly body dies like a house being destroyed... Believers in Christ have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And this truth, secured by Jesus' resurrection, makes death lose its sting and helps us approach death with confidence and hope. I think this hope has also helped many elderly saints age with a lot of grace. But question, when you are at your own funeral, is that a good time to remember your creator? No. It's too late then. So remember him now, before that day comes. You don't know when that day is going to come. We have a bad habit of living, thinking we can live for ourselves now and put off things until later. You might not have a later. Before this happens, remember your creator, verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. That may refer to a, a gold oil lamp hung on a silver chain. When the chain breaks, the lamp falls to the ground and is immediately snuffed out. Before the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Water is another image for life. But this is a picture of a deserted well. Once life-giving and nourishing, but now its wheel is broken and the pitcher to carry the water is shattered. 
These are all pictures of of beautiful and useful things, tools for, for bearing light or carrying water. But death is like the end of beauty and usefulness for this world. Life is precious, it's beautiful while it lasts, but it's also fragile and it won't last forever. No, sooner or later we return. And I use that word because Solomon uses it here in verse 7. Before the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The dust returning to the earth is a direct echo of Genesis 3, where death was introduced as part of the curse. Mankind was told that we will all return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But while our physical body will decay, our eternal, our spiritual soul will live on and will return, it says, to God who gave it. Whether we return to him in eternal bliss or eternal death depends on our response to him now. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. I think there's also an echo here, a poetic echo of the, to the beginning of Ecclesiastes, when it talked about how the rivers run back into the sea. They were always return to the sea. Like waves going back, we go back to God. Now while this passage might so- not sound very encouraging to us, I believe that this final comment should be hugely encouraging to those who are growing older. The fact is, no matter how broken our aging process may be, God cares about our spirits. Cares about you. And the scriptures are honest about these hard experiences, but not bitter. Even while our physical suffering may drag on, there will definitely be an end to it. And you'll gloriously return to the God who made you and who loves you. In the words of N.D. Wilson, rest assured that the God who looked on you with joy when you were small and racing across his gift of green grass on his gift of feet beneath his gift of sky, watched by his gift of a mother with his gift of love in his gift of her eyes, is the same God who will look on you as that race finally ends. When our time comes, God will be as kind and as generous as he ever and always is. Yes. For now, under the sun, aging and death can be quite distressing. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And you get to hear him just sigh. <sighs> vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. It's possible that the final passage in Ecclesiastes, which we'll get to next week, was written by a narrator, which means this is where Solomon finishes his thoughts. In the same way that he began, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In context, 
This especially refers to the vanity of aging and dying. Life is fleeting and frustrating, and it can be tempting to despair. But don't. Derek Kinder helpfully concludes, with the experience of the whole book behind us, and with this chapter's haunting pictures of mortality to enforce the point, we come back to the initial cry, vanity of vanities, and find it justified. Nothing in our search has led us home. Nothing that we are offered under the sun is ours to keep. But we are forgetting the context. This very passage points us beyond anything under the sun in the words, your creator, and it invites response to him. It also points us to the present as the time of opportunity. Death has not yet reached out to us. Let it rattle its chains at us and stir us into action. What action? Rejoicing and remembering. Rejoicing in the life God gives us in every season and remembering our creator in this season. Lord, may it be so in us. Change our hearts, O God. Fixate them on you. And may we remember you every day of our life. In Jesus' name.